Thank you, James. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see my brothers and sisters here this morning, here in this first Sunday of August. Everybody okay? Everybody awake? If you're not, I'm about to wake you up. No pulpit pounding today, but, but I'm about to wake you up. <clears throat> a few weeks ago, the last time I was in the pulpit here, we looked at part two of a two-part message that I did called Stand Firm, Five Foundations for This Cultural Moment. And in those two messages, we looked at many of the challenges that we're facing in our culture. And we primarily focused on our confused and broken culture on issues of sexuality and gender and our culture's view of the value of life and the battle over We remembered how hard it is to see, to read about these battles every day. You see it all the time, don't you? And not just on the news or social media. We see these things manifesting in families, in churches, in relationships, and it's exhausting. And in many ways, it feels like even with Roe v. Wade in the wind column, which was a wonderful and even unexpected development, the tide has still turned in our overall culture, and the moral freefall continues unabated. But I don't want to rehearse those things today. We spent two messages doing that. I could probably preach about four based on the amount of material I had. Those things are still very real. They're still feeling very exhausting, and they can still lead us into despair over the state of our culture and our world. But today, I want to spend more time on something that we did mention both part one and part two of those messages, <clears throat> these things that surround us are not only disturbing, they can be depressing. They can lead to a sense of despair. And we mentioned then in both those messages that I don't believe God ever wants us to come to rest in despair over anything. Even the hardest things that we face in life out there, or in our own selves. Now, lament may be, and often is, very appropriate. We see lament in the Psalms, and of course we see it in the book of Lamentations. But what we see in Scripture from those who belong to the Lord is lament. It's not outright despair, because in Christ there is always hope. In Christ there is always hope. Our hope is always in the Lord. Our Lord Jesus Christ who died and rose again for our redemption. The truth is that most of us don't even have to look outside our own four walls to have things in our lives that could easily lead to despair. Looking at what's going on in the world and our culture just magnifies sometimes the more personal problems we face, sometimes daily, often ongoing. I can look around this room this morning and I know almost all of you very very well. And I can know the pain and suffering that so many of you are experiencing or have recently experienced or have at some point. You don't need these cultural things to move you toward depression and despair. You have plenty to deal with just getting out of bed every morning. Or to get even more personal and maybe a little still closer to home. <clears throat> You've been sick and you can't get better or you've had a health incident that changes your life, at least for a season, you or a loved one are facing an illness or a disease that won't go away, or a mountain of debt that seems impossible to climb, or you have a loved one 
who's just spiritually lost. They're not at all interested in the things of God, and they're living like it. Perhaps you're stuck in an awful job just keeping your head above water day by day. Or maybe it's not really a bad job, but it's just absolutely overwhelming. Or you have a relationship with someone you love that's not all it should be, and sometimes it just makes you miserable. You have a sin problem that you can't seem to overcome, despite months or maybe years of trying. These kinds of things often include sometimes physical pain, but more often I think it's the emotional pain that's so much more difficult and overwhelming for us to cope with. Or maybe it's both, and that's harder still. It's enough to make you feel hopeless. It's enough to make you despair. Despair is a loss of hope. Despair is the opposite of hope, isn't it? It's to be hopeless, to have no hope, to give up all hope or expectation, to be overcome by a sense of futility or defeat. This morning I want to, as Scripture tells us, call to mind, or in other words, remember some things. When we remember, when we recall the works of God that have already been done, we can have hope. We can have hope. And Scripture tells us that hope is sure and certain. It's not the wishing kind of hope that we often speak of when we say, gee, I hope the weather cools down, or I hope we get some more rain, or I hope Bill doesn't really preach very long this morning. (laughs) Despair and hopelessness are defined by Scripture as being without God. Think about this. We read this in Ephesians. Remember that at that time... You were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. What a thing to consider. Being without hope is inseparable from being without God. If you're without God, you're without hope. That's what Scripture tells us. Yet when we are in Christ, we can always have hope. So the admonition for all of us this morning, and if you don't get anything else from this this morning, and I hope you will, but if you don't get anything else from it, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Remember what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Now this is a key, and it's the, the title to this morning's uh, message re- references kind of this idea. This I call to mind, therefore I have hope. We're reminded by Paul here in Ephesians, and we're going to see in many other places in Scripture, we're reminded that we are in Christ Jesus. And when we are in Christ Jesus, we were once far away, and now we are near to Him because of His sacrifice. We see these kinds of reminders of God's work in many places throughout the Word of God. And we see it written by the prophet Jeremiah. Now, if you know Jeremiah's story, if you read the book of Jeremiah, or if you read the book of Lamentations, you know that Jeremiah didn't just have a very bad day. He had a very bad life, very tough life, at least for a significant season of his life. Yet, he landed on hope. Why could Jeremiah say, therefore I have hope? Because of the things he knew by experience and the things that he was taught and the things that he remembered about God's faithfulness. 
Now, we're going to read a, an extended portion of Lamentations chapter 3 from which this title comes this morning. And I want you to think for a moment about how you might fit into Jeremiah's lament here. It's a longer passage, but I think the context is really important, so bear with me. If you have your Bibles, you may want to turn to Lamentations chapter 3. But it's important to get the context before we get to the therefore I have hope part this morning. It's important for us to know that this wasn't just ivory tower intellectual thinking. He wasn't just mulling this over. It wasn't philosophical. This was about real pain, real suffering, and real hope. It was real and it was raw. This is Jeremiah. Writes in uh, chapter 3 beginning with verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. That's a great place to start, isn't it? He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and sent me as a target for his arrow. It set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the objects of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. <clears throat> now if we just stop there this morning, this would be a really depressing message. But fortunately, we're not going to stop there. And Jeremiah didn't stop there either, either. He writes, Remember my afflictions and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down before thee. So there's, that's where Jeremiah is. He's in near despair, if not total despair. He's depressed. This is awful what he's experiencing. And then we see the great turnaround. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bears the yoke in his youth. So you see this? This is very genuine emotion. This is very real. And you know what? God doesn't chide him. That's okay. That's okay. God is big enough to handle our very real emotions. Sometimes, though, we stop with the very strong feelings of verse 20, which said, I remember the afflictions. My soul is downcast or bowed down. He's saying, hey, I'm hurting. 
I'm down. This is incredibly hard. I can't handle this. But Jeremiah, the writer of Lamentations, doesn't quit there, and neither should we. When we stop and stay there, when we pitch a tent at my soul is downcast, I'm pitching my tent, this is where I am, I'm going to stay there. If we do that, we're headed toward despair if we're not already there. We're losing hope or we've already begun feeling hopelessness. But we can go on to that great turnaround, which you see in verse 21 of Lamentations chapter 3. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Because of His great love, we are not consumed. To be consumed, that's kind of overwhelmed, right? It's just to, to, just to be totally owned by this. But we're not consumed. His compassions never fail. His mercies are new every morning. We don't have to rely on yesterday's mercy and compassion from God. We can draw on His fresh compassion, His fresh mercy today, this morning, now. He's faithful to provide what we need when we need it. So what did Jeremiah do? He called this to mind. He reminded himself of it. We can do that too. We can remind ourselves of these truths. And we can remind each other, kind of like we're doing here this morning. King David encouraged himself in the Lord. We see in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. That would distress me. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. How can we strengthen ourselves in the Lord? Well, for starters, we can see how the Word of God is meant to be a means of grace to give us hope. We read in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Why? So that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. So that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. It takes the activity of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to make us wise. And God will most often use the Scriptures as His agent. It takes the Holy Spirit to make us righteous, even though, again, the Word of God is the primary tool that God uses to convict, to admonish, and correct and train us for righteousness. So my prayer for us is that just as we recognize that uh, faith and love are gifts from God. So is hope. Faith and love are gifts from God, but so is hope. How about Romans chapter 15, <clears throat> verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who loved us and by His grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. You know what? When we're praying for each other, and I hope we do, I hope we pray for each other, especially when we look around and we know that people are in situations that can lead them to lose hope. These two passages that we just read from Romans and Second Thessalonians, you can't go wrong with praying those prayers. 
It never can go wrong with praying scripture for your brothers and sisters in Christ. If it's a gift of his grace, if it's an action of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives through the instrument of his word, then you know what? There's not a thing you can do to work it up just by gritting your teeth. I'm going to hope in him. I'm going to hope. I am, I am, I am. Maybe growl a little. I am going to hope. The thing we have to do is ask. The thing we have to do is ask and cooperate with the means of grace, the Word of God, that He's already given us. I think there's some of us here this morning who are barely clinging to hope. Maybe there's some who are on the verge of losing hope, or some may have lost hope, if not all the time, and at least some of the time. I think more of us are kind of on a hope roller coaster. We have hope one day, we get to the top, oh, look at that view, man, on the top, and then you begin to plunge down to the bottom of the roller coaster. One day, one hour, next day, next hour, the circumstances of life batter that hope, and then that hope is gone again. It seems like it's gone or nearly lost. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. God's compassion never fails. His mercies are new every morning. The psalmist in Psalm 27 knows that without hope, and not just hope, but specifically hope in the Lord, there's nothing but despair. The psalmist writes, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. We can all say that sometimes, can't we? I would have despaired unless I had believed. And though the foundation of our hope for anything in this life is firmly built on the hope of salvation through Jesus Christ, hope in Him applies to this life as well. I would have despaired, the psalmist writes, unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord where? In the land of the living. We've already seen that our ultimate hope is in eternal life. And it should always be so. So let's not dismiss that too quickly. Our ultimate hope is in eternal life. But we can still have hope in the land of the living because His best promise is always true. I will be with you always. I will be with you always. That means today. That means here. That means now. In Psalm 33 we read, We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. And then in verse 22 of Psalm 33, this is my prayer for me and my prayer for all of you. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. The day-to-day of life sometimes, oftentimes, makes hope harder. We're sometimes on that hope roller coaster we mentioned a moment ago. This is a consistent theme in a lot of the lament that we see in the word in scripture god gives us permission to lament do you ever think about that god gives us permission to lament not necessarily to grumble or complain but to lament to recognize and be real about the reality of our difficult circumstances the reality of our pain and suffering and what's more god gives us a language to give voice to that lamenting. And here's the interesting thing. That language is a language of worship. He gives and takes away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. We sing that song here, right? That's a language of lament and of worship. I, for one, am glad that we have some emotionally honest songs in our worship repertoire here at TCF. 
There's a, a writer and theologian named Carl Truman who asked in an article if our Western materialism has somehow sunk so deeply into the church that we don't know what to do with cries of lament or suffering. He wonders if we sometimes regard these things as embarrassing. He writes that a diet of unremittingly jolly choruses and hymns inevitably creates an unrealistic horizon of expectation which sees the normative Christian life as one long triumphalist street party, a theologically incorrect and a pastorally disastrous scenario in a world of broken individuals. Has an unconscious belief that Christianity is, or at least should be, all about health, wealth, and happiness corrupted the content of our worship? Is it because the comfortable values of Western middle-class consumerism have silently infiltrated the church and made us consider such cries irrelevant, embarrassing, and signs of abject failure? In the Psalms, God has given the church a language which allows it to express even the deepest agonies of the human soul in the context of worship. So let me say that such lament, such honesty about what we suffer, is not embarrassing here at TCF. It's not necessarily a sign of failure or sin, and it's certainly not irrelevant. God can handle our cries. God can handle our lament. It's not embarrassing to us. Why should it be embarrassing to him? Psalm 103 says, For he, God, knows our frame. He remembers that we're but dust. If we need any examples of lament, we need look no further than Jesus. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Praying to God the Father, Lord, is there any way I can avoid this pain? Jesus on the cross, God, why have you forsaken me? If it's okay for Jesus, God the Son, the Word made flesh, to utter these very real, very heartfelt cries of anguish and pain, then why would it not be okay for us? The Word tells us that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured. He knew that his suffering was the path to his joy. The Psalms include all different kinds of worship, but they include worship that also often instructs. Psalm 42 and 43 are a perfect example. I'm not going to read all of it, more than we want to read this morning, but as I read a few selections from these two Psalms, and you may want to take a look at that, I'd encourage you to read it all on your own at some point. Again, let's look for the real expressions of honest emotion. Let's look for this lament. And remember that these songs were used in worship. They were meant to be used in worship. A worshipful cry of lament, of reality, of a suffering believer in God. So let's allow these thoughts to sink in for a moment as I read a few of these. Read along with me if you have your Bibles. It starts in Psalm 42.1. This is a more familiar look at worship for psalms, right? We sing this song. As a deer pants for flowing streams or for the water, so, my soul, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? That's how it begins. But then we very quickly see the downside of the lament roller coaster very quickly. Verses 3 and 4. My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? But then again, the psalmist quickly turns again, writing, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. 
And then as we read on in Psalm 42 and 43, we see this back and forth, this up and down on the roller coaster continue as the psalmist seeks comfort in his lament. In verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? And then he writes in the next chapter, verse 4, Then I will go to the altar of my God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now, the actual Hebrew text says this is to the choir master. So again, it clearly indicates that this is a song for worship, meant to be used in worship. It was meant to be used in public worship, and you can't help but notice, lament is a part of that. The Psalms, as we noted, are songs. They're poems. They're written to awaken and help us express and help us shape our emotional life in a way that's appropriate in worship before God. Poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just cognitive thoughts. Our emotions can shape and influence us. Now, we have to be clear that we rightly regard emotions with some degree of wariness because emotions can be fleeting and they can shape us in ways that are ungodly. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 recognizes this truth. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So we have to be careful with our emotions. We have to be careful not to let them rule us or worse yet, decide things for us. But they can and they do influence us and they can and they do sometimes influence us for good. And having emotions is not wrong. How could they automatically be wrong? Jesus, God the Son, had emotions. Jesus wept. Jesus got angry. And so while I do think we have to be very careful about how we draw parallels between our emotions and God's emotions because, in case you haven't noticed, we're not God. The reality remains that emotions are an important and unavoidable component of our lives. And like most things in our human condition, they can be used for good or ill. Looking at the Psalms, we see a recognition of the reality of human emotion, along with instruction about how to interact in a spiritual way with those emotions that lead to and sometimes contribute to worship. But using the words of the Psalms, we're safe. Because this is inspired scripture. God breathed so they can be safely used to shape what we think and to shape what we feel. And when scripture is the primary content of our worship, we are essentially at that point, in essence, thinking and feeling with God as our guide. That's a good thing. So what does the writer of Psalm 42 and 43 want us to learn? First of all, depression can be a very real thing, even in the mind of a believer even in the mind of a worshiper of the one true God. How can we possibly see verses like this any other way? The psalmist is in turmoil, and this is an expression of the heart of a person who follows God, but whose life circumstances are awful, just like Jeremiah's were. Can't we all relate in some way to what this person experienced? At the heart of this lament is a sense that God is absent. That's at the heart of this. Of course, Jesus himself 
experience that on the cross. But this sense of God's absence is clear at the beginning of Psalm 42. We read this verse a moment ago. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Now, he draws this analogy between a thirsty deer and himself thirsting for God. This deer isn't just thirsty. It's exhausted. Why do you pant? Because you've been exerting a lot of effort. Isn't that how we feel when life hits us in the face? over and over with the kinds of challenges we can look around this room and know and see that so many of us are facing today. Sometimes we're exhausted. We're just exhausted. We're thirsty for God sometimes because it seems like He's not here. Can we just admit that? We're thirsty for Him because it seems like He's not here. The psalmist has known the presence of God in his life before, but now it feels like his prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and he's utterly alone. He writes, All your breakers have gone over me. My tears have been my food. My soul is cast down within me in turmoil. Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? My adversaries taunt me. The psalm illustrates what it looks like to be on this roller coaster of emotions. Up and down and up and down. Let's take just a minute to trace some of the key words that we see in these two chapters. In order, we see downcast, followed by hope. Turmoil, followed by praise. Mourning, and then steadfast love. Tears, abandonment, thirst, again hope. We see the sense of abandonment again, and then remembering praise, followed by cast down. Turmoil, hope, praise, salvation, my God, cast down. Overwhelmed by the waves. Steadfast love, God's song with me, God my rock, forgotten and abandoned again, mourning and oppression, deadly wound, taunted by adversaries, abandonment, cast down, turmoil, hope in God, praise, salvation my God. Wow. Aren't you exhausted? Don't you feel like you've just been on Zingo? What a roller coaster of emotions. It is. It's a roller coaster of emotions. And who in here cannot relate to that? What we see here, the psalmist doing, is fighting an inward battle for hope. It's fighting an inward battle for hope. That's why these psalms are a clear picture of fighting for hope. This I call to mind, therefore I have hope. Isn't that where we find ourselves? We believe God. We trust God. We really do. We know that His promises are true. His promise to be with us, to sustain us with His grace, to provide His strength in our moments or seasons of weakness. We know that. And then what happens? The downward part of the roller coaster approaches. We get to the brink and we look. Uh Uh-oh, it's going down again. And once more, our soul is downcast despite what we really do believe. We remember God's faithfulness and we find encouragement but another wave rolls over us and our soul is in turmoil again. We find ourselves talking to ourselves. We keep reminding ourselves of what we know to be true. But we are battling real emotions. We are lamenting. As we continue to look at how the psalmist responds to these challenges in life, we can see several things I believe we can learn from this morning. First, he asks God why. Sometimes believers in Christ seem to think that asking God why is wrong or it exhibits a lack of faith. Now, I'm sure it can. 
Sometimes it does, but not necessarily. In verse 9, we see, why have you forgotten me? It's an honest question, because as we've noted, that's at the heart of this lament. Where's God? Why is this happening to me? But we can also see that the psalmist knows God hasn't really forgotten him. So the word forgotten is an emotional overstatement. Just a verse before we read, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. So the psalmist is really saying, it sure looks like God has forgotten me. That's what these circumstances make me feel like. But again, we're seeing this roller coaster of emotions. The psalmist never completely loses his grip on the reality of God's love and care for him. That's what keeps him afloat when the breakers and waves go over him. There's a continued affirmation of the love of God even in the midst of pain. We have to, my brothers and sisters, learn to preach these truths to ourselves. We have to learn to preach these truths to ourselves. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. This is why an understanding of Scripture, and specifically memorizing Scripture, is such a worthy discipline. When we're in the midst of suffering and turmoil, when we're on that roller coaster of emotions, going up and down and up and down, I get queasy just thinking about it. Because of the challenges that life brings, sometimes it's hard for us to read, isn't it? It's hard to focus on reading the Word. You can't focus. But when God's Word is hidden in our hearts, these verses come back to us. They're there. They're planted. So when we preach to ourselves, the main thing we should be preaching is not platitudes, not that things will get better. You know, they might get better, but this side of eternity, they might not. That's the reality. But our hope is not in this life anyway. As Paul said to the Corinthians, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. I don't want to be pitied because of that. I want to have my hope in eternity. So on a daily basis, we're faced with two simple choices. We can either listen to ourselves and our constantly changing feelings about our circumstances, or we can talk to ourselves about the unchanging truth of who God is and what he has accomplished for us. At the cross, through his son Jesus, and by his resurrection victory on our behalf. The gospel and its events remain completely unaffected by whatever is stirring up our emotions and putting us on this emotional roller coaster. The gospel is objective fact. That was, which is subjective changes regularly, like shifting sand. But that which is objective is built on solid rock. We allow our feelings to guide our thinking, and we shouldn't. Emotions are a wonderful gift from God, and our relationship with God should build or should bring strong godly affections to our lives. But our emotions shouldn't be vested with final authority. This should be reserved for God's word alone. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. We sometimes feel alone and abandoned. But think about this. This is the first time I ever thought of this this way while I was preparing for this message. Because of Jesus' cry on the cross, we know that this is perhaps the most significant way that he bore our sins for us. In that holy and mysterious moment on the cross, 
when Jesus cried out, Why have you forsaken me? He chose to drink the cup of God's wrath for us. And that wrath included God the Father turning His face away from sin. The sin that Jesus bore on our behalf. So, though we may feel alone, those feelings are deceptive. Because Jesus, the one who bore that moment of forsakenness to us, said to us, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we're never truly alone. Jesus experienced that forsakenness, that aloneness, so we don't have to. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Think about this. When Jesus needed comfort in the garden, God sent an angel. When we need comfort in our hopelessness or even our despair, God sends a Savior. We're given comfort and strength by Jesus Himself. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. His power is made perfect in our weakness. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. My steadfast love will not depart from you. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of His great love, because of His great mercy, because of His great compassion, we are not consumed. Great is His faithfulness. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You don't just leave us flapping in the breeze trying to come up with hope on our own. But You allow us, Father, to call these things to mind because You put them in Your Word. You reminded us of Your character. You reminded us of Your grace, Your mercy, Your compassion your goodness, your everlasting love, and your faithfulness. So, Father, help us in our deepest, darkest moments when we are on the verge of despair. We're at the bottom of that roller coaster. Pray that you would help us, Father, in those moments to call to mind the truth of your word, the truth of your gospel, the truth of your character, the truth of your love. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Our hope will be completely and eternally and only in Jesus. Amen.